0: This episode is sponsored by Ruby Dev Summit, coming October 16th through 23rd, 2017. Hi, it's Chuck from devchat.tv. I reached out to some of my friends in the Ruby community to put on a completely free, no travel conference for Ruby developers. We have speakers like Uncle Bob Martin, Fabio Akita, and others covering topics from clean architecture to artificial intelligence and machine learning. The talks are happening throughout the day each day, and we'll have a chat available during each session. Attending the talks is free, but you need to register go to ruby devsummit.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're going to be talking to Simon Morrow. I think I said that right. Did I say that right, Simon?
1: Yeah, you did. Yeah.
0: Do you want to give us a brief introduction? We're going to dig a little bit into your background. But yeah, just let people know who you are, where you're from, what you do.
1: Sure. Well, um, I guess I'm a record producer and mixer from Melbourne in Australia. And uh, I've recently, over the last sort of 18 months, been teaching myself uh, Ruby and the Rails framework I guess, as a, a frustrated entrepreneur or, you know, aspiring entrepreneur that had negative experiences with outsourcing and, uh, you know, finding tech co-founders and wanted to empower myself. And it's sort of actually been a bit of a loop back because in the mid-90s, I discovered Visual Basic in high school and decided that I wanted to be a software programmer. Um, then I got into guitar and sort of went off on a different trajectory. So that's, that's a quick
0: background about myself. Gotcha. I was going to say, I bet people listened to your the first part of your intro and went, why is he on a Ruby podcast? But, <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing that I find interesting and the thing that I'm trying to highlight here is just the, the variety of people we have in the programming community. And in a lot of ways... You know, we we get the people who have been on the show before and some of them have been programming since they were kids, and some of them have been programming since college, and then some people are self-taught and they come into it through a boot camp or what have you. And so the fact that I have somebody that's, you know, a fairly recent um self-taught programmer is, is really interesting. And I think it's something that I don't think we shine enough light on as far as, Hey, look, you know, there's this way that people come in too. So, yeah, but let's, let's back up a little bit. You said that you did do a little bit of programming when you were younger. Uh, do you want to talk about that for a minute? How did you get into programming?
1: Yeah. So I, I was, I was trying to remember the, the exact moment. And I think, what is that saying that our, our, um, strongest memories are often our greatest illusions. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember exactly <laughs> what happened, but the, the, what what I can remember is that you know uh, the first computer that we had in our home, I think I think it was actually called a dinosaur, and it was this big green and black monochrome screen, and you know the the um, five and a whatever inch. Uh, Floppy disks, and that was my first experience of a computer, and I was so fascinated by it and And then um, also gaming consoles. a friend had an Atari
0: uh-huh.
1: um, and and then I think I ended up getting into the Sega or Sega, depending on how how you wish to pronounce it. I ended up on on that side of the console gaming world, um, and my best friend was a Nintendo. Person. So I guess that was the early um, Apple versus Android rivalry <laughs> amongst friends. And then, uh, so I was sort of fascinated by video games. And then I was introduced to Visual Basic in my infotech class in high school. And our school it didn't really have a very strong IT department. And the intro to Visual Basic was very simple it was add a button. And when you click it, it would display a dialog box with a calculation or something like that. Very Uh simple. And now I think our teacher, you know, might have done the one-week course when when uh, she was uh, learning uh, to teach. um, You know, a lot more of the focus was on things like Microsoft Word and Excel and Access. But I was just fascinated by the way that you could, you know, write these instructions. And you know, I've I've always been full of ideas. So this idea that you could create a digital product just by writing text really fascinated me. So I started borrowing books from the library, um, the local library, and I think I even bought a few. And you know, as a 15-year-old, sort of saving up $130, um, you know, oh, to wow. buy these big books with with discs and trying to teach myself. Like now, now I realize. It was probably kind of futile to have no mentor or person to instruct me. I was trying to reverse engineer little code snippets. And I remember, did you ever use Visual Basic, Chuck? Nope, I never did. Um, Well, I remember that I wanted to get an icon in the Windows system tray. And I remember to do that, you basically had to hack. You had to do in, install some other library and, and go outside of the traditional uh, visual basic environment. I found some code to do it and I was so happy. But the, the product, the, the uh, app didn't really do anything, but I managed to make that happen. <laughs> nice. So that's, I guess that was the the early introduction to programming and then I used to suffer migraines and I think it might actually have been from the big old CRT screens. So now I sort of think well actually maybe maybe I could I could work as a developer and not mm-hmm. suffer migraines all the time. So I guess that was my first um, experience of programming. and then I guess over the last 20 years, dabbling in HTML, when I, I guess, discovered WordPress websites, which I found useful for my small business as a music producer, and then um, some digital products I created. And um, yeah, so, so then it it wasn't until about 18 months ago that I thought I'm going to try and learn a language and build something.
0: That's really interesting. I also want to just touch on a couple things here that you mentioned. One is is you know you you kind of skipped over a little bit of your music background, you know, that you kind of outlined a little bit of that in your in your message to me on LinkedIn. But I found that there are a lot of programmers out there in the wider programming world that are musicians. And so yeah, you know, a lot of people probably think, "Oh, well, so you got this artsy person over here and then you come to something as regimented as programming." And I think a lot of people just look past the creativity in code. And I'm sure that there's something there that, that you also found that appealed to you, maybe in some of the similar ways that, that music appealed to you.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting that, that you noticed that, because that's an observation that I've also found, even in, in startups that I've been involved with. You know, the the other developers have been incredible pianists or have an interest in electronic music production and and I've also tried to try to figure out what the similarities are and I I guess it's with music and code there is that creativity and that science so with with music you know music is about agreements within a culture that we agree that this note followed by that note or this note blended with that note is correct is what does work. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we program a symphony <laughs> and we can refactor that symphony to create a different mood or we could refactor the the sheet music to make it easier for the site reader to read you know, you can, you can write the same thing different ways, but one way makes it easier to sight read because the notes are grouped a particular way. And I guess you are, yeah, you are solving problems creatively using a structure that if you go outside of that structure, it won't work. It, you know, discordant uh, things in music, we agree that they are wrong until they've happened so many times that maybe we agree that they're okay. And you can look back through music history and find that, you know, there were chords and intervals and interval being one note followed by another note and and the difference between those two that, you know, over time it's changed. And maybe that's like, uh, like the conversations people have about front end frameworks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. It's also interesting as you dig into musical theory, a lot of things there are mathematical and You know, and so the rules and the science of what makes music and what makes music sound good are also, you know, kind of foundational in the same way that mathematics is foundational in computer science, even though we don't think about it a lot that way. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's go ahead and dig into sort of your programming renaissance. So you discovered WordPress. Did you start programming against WordPress or did your interest in programming uh, later in life come from something else?
1: I did very little in WordPress in terms of learning to program. You know, I, I would delve into the CSS and mm-hmm. you know change things in themes. I, I would generally just you know find a a theme on ThemeForest that I liked. Um, and Envato are actually in Melbourne, so they're. Oh, not cool. Do you guys? Yeah, you, you would know of Envato.
0: Yeah, I've used uh, their stuff for some of my websites. <laughs>
1: yeah, cool. Um, so they're they're a Melbourne company. And yeah, so I'd just I'd generally download those those themes and have a bit of a, a tweak to the CSS, maybe some of the, the layouts and then outsource I would outsource tweaks to people from um, you know, uh, freelancing websites. Mm-hmm. I did once try and learn PHP <laughs> to solve one problem. My wife was building a um a website for it was a membership site. And she wanted to stamp the date on these PDFs that were generated on the fly. And I I thought, oh, yeah, well, I I tried programming 20 years ago. Let's see what we can do. I think it took me about 16 hours, and I finally – was able to generate the date stamped onto this PDF. Oh, wow. And then we celebrated by going out and getting some food. And as I was waiting in line, I thought, oh, that's not going to automatically change the date next year. <laughs> and then I thought you can find someone else to, <laughs> to, <laughs> right. to do that when the ship happens. <laughs> but, um, so not, not much in WordPress. Then we were involved in the Melbourne startup world, and Michelle, mm-hmm. my wife, is on the board of Startup Victoria, so she's still more more involved in that than I am these days. But through that, I heard about this Ruby on Rails thing that it was sort of uh, everyone was talking about it. That you know, if you built your app in Ruby on Rails, you were cooler than everybody else. And I thought, well, I you know, let me research this a little bit. And, and then I, I was reading about the philosophy of the Ruby language being that it was for programmer happiness. And I thought that was a really beautiful thing to be thinking about. And then I, I raised um, some seed capital to build a, a product that I'd been sort of thinking about for a while, which was, I say was because I've pivoted as of five weeks ago, a production management tool for music producers, and I decided to build it in Ruby on Rails, and I found a company in Delhi to build that for me, and we can talk more about my outsourcing experience after if you would like, Mm -hmm. Uh, but essentially I had to um, fire them and trash the the project and start again, but because
0: I... Look, it,
1: I can talk about the positives in it, but you know, try and keep a positive frame. But it was, you know, it, maybe we should come back to it. And uh, mm-hmm. but I would definitely say to anybody, to anybody listening out there that is thinking about the, you know, outsourcing their big startup idea, I would strongly advise that you work with companies that might seem expensive to you, but they're expensive for a reason because that's what it actually costs to get it done. <laughs> so, you know, I, I wasted quite a lot of money by trying to save money and I wasted quite a lot of time. So I kind of think if you can't afford to do it properly, just wait. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Um, yeah, uh, so because I had had that built-in Ruby on Rails and um, had been exposed to a little bit of the the language, I decided to delve into it and try and teach myself, because it sort of went through my mind. If I'd I'd started my learning at the same time that I hired that company that I fired almost two years ago, then I I would have been able to take over (laughs) from that point, Um, or, you know, at least start again from that point. So um, again, for anyone that's sort of dipping their toe in the water and thinking, you know, could I do this? Uh, I'd say you absolutely can if you have time and maybe have some people in your network that you can reach out to when you get stuck. Because, you know, two years later, you've got a skill set that, you know, is at least, at least good enough to build MVPs.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so you're building the MVP now for your own product? Or do you have people who are near you that are doing it?
1: No, I built it myself. Well, I did find a tech co-founder about eighteen months ago, and then that kind of went south. We were looking at a Rails backend with an Angular front end, and um, and it just yeah. After about eighteen months, this product was still undelivered, um, so we parted. And yeah, about five weeks ago, I just thought I'm going to just do this on my own. And instead of a multi-featured tool that you know take a long time to build. I've just decided to focus on one particular feature. So essentially it's for receiving client feedback on work in progress,
0: mm-hmm.
1: kind of like Envision app, but for music. So, you know, it, it could be used by a band that are sending demos to each other and you just upload your song and then you invite people to the song just by sharing a link. There's no need to actually sign up to the site to comment on the song. And as you add your comments, it just creates a to-do list of change requests underneath with a little play, play button next to each comment that can play it from the point of the song where the change request is asked for.
0: Nice. Very nice. Let me back up for a minute. So the question that I usually ask is how did you come to Ruby? What was it about Ruby and how did you find it that made you decide to want to do this kind of work in Ruby as opposed to in PHP or something else?
1: Okay. Yeah, well, I think it it started with that, you know, reading the philosophy around it. Mm -hmm. And then when I started looking at the code as somebody that, you know, other than my 20 years ago dabbling in Visual Basic, uh, you know, I would look at the Ruby language. And I thought that kind of makes sense. And then I would look at some Rails code and it was kind of making sense. And if it's written well and the methods are named well, it really makes sense. And compared to looking at PHP, one of my close friends uh, who's helped me particularly with JavaScript (laughs) issues, he's a PHP developer. And I've looked at the PHP code and, you know, the controllers in his CodeIgniter or Laravel apps, and there is just so much code. And I just like the elegance of Ruby and and the Rails framework and how, you know, you break up your files. So you've got lots of little little files that all make sense. I guess I like the organization and and I guess the syntax of it.
0: Gotcha. So, yes, you come into Ruby. Uh, what what kinds of things have you done with Ruby? Is, is this your first and only product or project or have you done other things as kind of things that you put out there or, or ways to learn?
1: Well, maybe I could talk about the way that I have been learning and what I've done with that. So and again, this is probably particularly useful for anybody that is just starting out or thinking of starting out. The first thing that I tried to do was jump into a Ruby on Rails course through Treehouse which I completed but I found it quite confusing because I didn't know what a class variable was or an instance variable or method name and you know so even just variable scope was confusing to me so I was trying to understand why is there an at symbol in front of that there but Mm -hmm. then there's not in this other part of the code or why is that if you're looking at controllers and models, why is that pluralized? Why is that singular? Why is that capital? And and then then a, a f- another friend of mine who um, is a a developer that I met through one of my early startups I was involved with, he said, "I think you should. I think all of your problems will be solved if you just learn pure Ruby." Mm-hmm. So I did a Ruby course on lynda.com, which was I think Ruby Ruby essential training. And that, he was absolutely right. As soon as I just did a pure Ruby course, I started to be able to separate what was Rails and what was Ruby. And that made things so much easier for me. So at that point, I guess I just started, um, now that I was sort of able to do some sort of coding, I just started by you know writing writing an app in in terminal text files, which is because uh, Ruby is as most people probably know is it comes on every Apple computer. So I just you know I just spend a, spend half a day making some app that would do anything just mm-hmm. to experience functionality and then trash it. and then you know I, I would then then when I did the the follow-up rails course on Linda, then I started making some sort of quick, Prototypes and one one that I made that I I still use but haven't really put out there. Um, it's a tool for putting together budgets for projects. So I would often just jump into Excel, and every time I was putting together a budget for a record, and you know sometimes you know the the projects might be you know ten to thirty thousand dollars. So there there are a lot of variables there and a lot of different categories and subcategories, which in Excel, I can sort of work out my costs and my profit, but it was very difficult to work out how much time I was spending doing things and the administration side. So I made a little app that allows you to quickly put together production budgets and also add the time to deliver each line item. So at the end, you can actually click on a report page and see you know, what your hourly rate is. And I, I sort of created stories so that it would say, you know, based on the number of weeks you said this project is going for, your cash flow during this project will be X, your hourly rate is X. Mm-hmm. Your, you know, um, So I made that which I use. I made a little app for my wife to manage some manual subscriptions for an online store that she's been sort of building in her spare time. And then, yeah, just started rebuilding TrackBids. So just, just little little applications purely for the purpose of learning, <laughs> I guess.
0: That's really interesting. And and I know a lot of people who have come up through courses like on Linda, like you mentioned, or Treehouse mm-hmm. or Code School or, you know, there are, there are a whole bunch of them out there, you know, depending on what language you're learning and, and what you want to do. Do you find that the courses were enough or did you have to go and like find groups of people who were coding or find a mentor? I mean, a lot of times this is what I hear is, okay, so I, I went and took the course and then I needed help.
1: Um, I guess I know that it has definitely helped me by having people that I could reach out to. Mm-hmm. While I haven't spent hours and hours sort of with formal meetings with mentors i have had you know sessions like the, the other week with um with my new version of of trackbits there was a problem that i was trying to solve which was uh, i'm using the javascript library wavesurfer to generate the um, graphic of a waveform kind of like on soundcloud mm-hmm. and i was trying to figure out a way to save the array of peaks and i was just really struggling with that and you know i was doing my stack overflow journey and then raj came over and we sort of hung out for the afternoon and and he pretty much was able to find the problem you know sort of find the yeah find the solution to the problem and then then i was sort of able from there to to refactor stuff and um, you know save it to a postgres json a column in the database and it was fine. So, you know, though there have been moments like that where I've been stuck and it has been so helpful because often, particularly with a specific question, it's difficult to know what to type into Google mm-hmm. to get the answer. And maybe there was a solution in 2013 that is no longer relevant to the libraries that are being used or, you know, the new versions of, of libraries. So that definitely for those things that you know could be a roadblock for, for hours or days for a beginner it definitely helps having someone close that can you know that you can reach out to the other thing is another person maybe similar similar to myself in that we both worked in music retail in the early 2000s and this other person Colin was my manager there and then he he left to become a developer he's he's a full-time developer uh, Ruby on Rails. And I think he also learned Xcode. I think that was the first language he learned. Anyway, so I've I've caught up with him a few times and showed him my apps, and the last time I caught up with him, he was able to introduce me to service objects, you know, OO, and also presenters and decorators that's something that I I hadn't come across just through these courses. So I imagine that there are there are still hundreds of things that I don't know that I don't know. And having someone to help point those things out has been very helpful. So yeah, and I I suppose it also depends what one's goal is. I think if one's goal is to become a full-time developer, then I imagine that you know, you probably want to do a computer science course. I mean, I I often talk to aspiring music producers and I ask them what their goal is. And if their goal is to record songs and demos for personal use or for fun, then I will say, do a short course and, you know, ask the mates and that's going to get you by. Mm -hmm. So maybe if the goal is to create – an MVP and try and get some interest and, you know, maybe some short courses and a lot of time is is all you need. But if you want to be, you know, full-time record producer, I say, well, you've probably got to go and study a course that will introduce you to the, the stuff that is not available online because it's, it's a little bit more complicated and it also might be boring You know, like the signal flow in audio production, I think, is the single most important thing you can learn, and it's how a a signal gets from its source to its destination. So, for example, I'm looking at your RE20 microphone on the Skype video, and you've got the, the output of the microphone, which goes to the input of the audio interface. Now, when you're in the studio, you might have out of the microphone into a preamp, out of a preamp, into a compressor out of a compressor, into an equalizer, out of an equalizer, into a converter, and you can get these very convoluted chains that just then it might sound convoluted to someone that's unaware, but with a, a fundamental understanding of signal flow, it's actually really, really, really simple. And signal flow is something that unless you're forced to learn it, you'll never really grasp it. It's kind of, I guess it's, it's like if you were to just I guess what I was doing early on with Visual Basic, just copying code and modifying it, and never really understanding how it works. and as soon as as soon as you understand how something works, it becomes so much easier. so So I think you know back to your question of you know how important or helpful is it to have people around, for me, it has been very, very helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, that that's a pretty common thing that I've heard. One other thing that I'm wondering, and this is a question that I get asked a lot by people who are new, especially if they're self-taught. A lot of times I get people out of boot camps and stuff and, you know, they feel like they're ready to start coding or ready to, you know, hit the big time or work on their own projects or whatever, because they're kind of forced into it. But a lot of the people who are on the self-learning track, it, they, they never quite get that confidence up where they're ready to do some, tackle something, especially at this level where it's, you know what, I'm eventually going to release this into production. So, so Hmm. what was it that made you get to the point where you said, you know what, I'm pretty comfortable with this. I think I can do a good job of it.
1: Yeah. Good question. I guess there are a couple of things to comment on there. I'm remembering when I graduated from audio production, which is in 2000 and I've generally been, the the opposite of very confident and self-assured. Like I, mm-hmm. I I'm confident with what I do, but I will always assume that I can I can always learn more and I'll just do the best job that I can. However, when, when I started out, I think I was more confident then than I am now in my craft in some ways. And what I mean is now I know how important my role plays in my clients' potential for connecting with an audience and with my clients' potential for, you know, it, going further in their career. When I was younger and i just graduated from my course, I thought, cool, I'm trained now. I know obviously I've got stuff to learn, but I've done my course. I can get out there and do things. And then, you know, probably 10 years into my music career that I started learning the real stuff, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, the stuff that, that can affect emotion in a song. And, you know, that, that wasn't taught. So, so I wonder if there's something like that, you know, because I was, you know, the stuff that I thought I could have done when I, you know, 15 years ago as a, as a young music producer, I think about it now, I think I, I would not have been able to, (laughs) to do what I thought I could have done to the level that I thought I would have been doing it at, and I wonder if it's similar like that. So, you know, as an example, so this this week my intention is to properly start testing my, you know, first public iteration of track bits and invite some some beta testers. And, you know, so my, my task for last night was set up a staging server on Heroku, uh, which I managed to do and, you know, connect that to Git to my app and now my task my task for today is is work out um a git workflow that i want to use and i have never i've cloned repos before but i've never started a new branch made modifications to it and then merged it into another branch i've never done that that's my task for today <laughs> and and i wonder you know on this self-learning path maybe maybe similar to the other people i'm not sure but i'm feeling like you know, I've got to be extra cautious because there is so much that I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe when, when one does a course, they may think that everything has been covered. I'd be interested to know what your experience was, you know, when you started, how, how much of your learning happened after you graduated?
0: Right. Yeah. And for me, I did some programming when I was in junior high school and in high school, But I didn't take it very seriously and most of it was pretty simple stuff. When I got into college and started doing the programming, yeah, I mean, we had TAs and we had, you know, the professor gave the lecture, which I paid attention sometimes. But yeah, I mean, mostly what I learned, I learned writing the code. Like when I'd get in the lab and start writing code, it was, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. And we were doing Java and C++. Later on, we did some C. And when I was learning Ruby, that was in my professional life. You know, so I, at that point, I had graduated. I'd been in IT for like six years at the university as well. That was my... that I worked my way through school doing IT for the university. And yeah, I mean, most of the stuff that I picked up, I picked up, you know, working with somebody else on a project and having them explain to me things when I got stuck. Yeah. And often I didn't know that I needed to ask the question until, you know, until I ran into the problem. And then and then we would find a solution together. And yeah. So, and so, yeah, I mean... I I just I can't say enough for picking things up as you're trying to solve problems, because you just don't know you you don't know what it's like to write code that has to run until you have to write code that has to run.
1: Yeah, I've been getting lots of notifications from Rollbar, <laughs> which has been very helpful. Uh-huh. And yeah, it's, I guess it's it's like that. Maybe maybe, um, maybe the the self taught we're hyper cautious because it, and maybe in some way, maybe we. Think we know less than we do, and obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we know. Well, as I said, I, I'm probably an advanced beginner by your definition, in that I've never run anything in production really with real users and collaborators. And uh, maybe when you know those who have done a course just have a little bit more confidence, because maybe they've had um, you know a lecturer that's been able to say, you know what, you you can do. A simple app and put it out there, and and maybe maybe that's part of of the lesser confidence on the the self taught path versus the you know short course course or boot camp.
0: Yeah, well, one other thing that I like to point out to people is that this is software, so if you screw it up, I mean, if you have people's credit cards in there, don't screw it up. But if you are working on a project and you mess something up you just go in and fix the code. It's not like you're working on a car or, you know, building something out of wood, right? You cut it off too short. You can't fix that. You know, you might be able to to shim something in there and, and make it so that it's hard to notice, but you messed it up and you can't just undo it. But with software, you can pretty much always undo it. And so, you know, th- there are security issues, obviously, that you can't undo if you, you know, put people's information yeah. out there, but you know, for, for the most part, you know, so I messed this up. I mean, you learn something and and that's the outcome. And so it's a positive thing. Making mistakes is a positive thing, not a negative thing. And so I tell people, look, just get out there. Just, just go for it because you yeah. really have nothing well, to lose. You're not going to look dumb. You're just going to look like you're learning.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. And it's helpful. And you know, maybe, maybe there is place for the self-taught developers to get together and maybe meet, meet with mentors for, you know, skill assessment, you know, that, that's probably, that's probably something I'd pay for,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, we're getting toward the end of the time and I do have another interview in about three minutes. So I'm going to push us into picks. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in Ruby. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got Ruby Rogues all day? Well, you can, kind of. We moved our Ruby Rogues Parlay forum to Slack. That means you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at rubyrogues.com slash parley. That's rubyrogues.com slash p-a-r-l-e-y. Now you said you've been listening to Ruby Rogues, so you know what picks are. Uh, Do you want to throw out a couple things you want to shout out about?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I've got a few, again, probably for the beginners. The the Linda Ruby Essential Training um, and the Ruby on Rails courses by Kevin Skogland were really, really helpful to me and I would do them in that order. The, so, pure Ruby first and then the Rails framework. And also, checking out official, so I guess the next pick is checking out official documentation. There've been several times where I might have been looking through Stack Overflow forum uh, posts for you know, maybe even a few hours only to go to the official documentation rails guides or gem homepage and then find the answer. So these days I'm kind of starting there first. So check out official documentation. And the third one unrelated to programming is cycling. I just started getting into cycling earlier in the year. So road, road, bike cycling. And I find that while riding, it's a good time to think through problems. And I often think about my application or code and i found solutions while i'm riding Um, and there's also a really cool i guess it's an online game called swift where you can hook your bike up to it and ride with people all over the world and that's kind of fun when it's cold or raining listening to podcasts and training and there are lots of apis in the cycling app community so there's yeah interesting things there too
0: very cool I'm just going to throw a few picks out as well. You mentioned Envato and ThemeForest, which is a great place to go. They also have just plain old HTML themes, so if you're looking to get started with some design and things like that, uh, sometimes that's helpful. And they Envato also owns a whole bunch of other properties that you know you can get clip art, clip music, and things like that. So uh, shout out to them because I I love their stuff and you know I use their stuff. Uh, DevChat TV is on WordPress, and i I've, I've set other things up for like Ruby Dev Summit. That theme came off of Envato. Anyway, lots of great stuff there. And then I'm also going to shout out about a couple of music sites out there. I need to look this one up real quick. There are a few places where you can go get free music. One of them is the Free Music Archive, freemusicarchive.org. Most of these are released creative commons, so you can just use them. And anyway, there, there's a lot of great stuff. There's also, uh, YouTube has a license-free music put on there, your web stuff if you want to use that. So that's great as well. And yeah, there, there's just a ton of great stuff out there that relates to music. You can also find open source music programs and libraries. So if you're interested in any of those, definitely go check them out as well. Simon, if people want to check out what you're working on or just follow you on Twitter and kind of keep tabs on your code journey, where should they go?
1: Sure. I was thinking about this, and I guess my my presence is really just in, in music <laughs> at the moment. The app is TrackBits. So that's track, B-I-T-S dot com, old homepage, which I'll be changing soon. But uh, that would probably be the place to go.
0: All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having
1: me. It was great chatting with you.
0: Yeah, it was great just kind of capturing this whole journey. I think it's been fascinating. Good luck Thanks. with your venture, and uh, we'll catch everyone next week. Thanks, Chuck. Bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot to learn more.